0: Hey, this is Graham Zimmerman, and you are listening to The Fern Line with Evan Phillips.
1: Alaska, the highest concentration of big, remote mountains in North America... For generations, a unique group of climbers have tested themselves in these vast alpine arenas. The Chugach, St. Elias, the Hayes, Neocola, the Kachatnas, the Revelations. Their stories are etched on high alpine walls. Their visions follow lines of cold gray ice. What inspires them? What makes them come back? Who survives? Who suffers? These are the stories we'll tell on Season 1 of The Fern Line. friends, I'm Evan Phillips and you're listening to The Fern Line, a podcast about the lives of mountain climbers. On season one, I'm chatting with alpinists and other outdoor enthusiasts who are pushing the limits of what's possible in Alaska's mountains. My goal is to have meaningful conversations with an extraordinary group of people, the folks who choose to live full value lifestyles in one of the most beautiful and wild regions on the planet. Well, hey, friends, it's great to be back with you today, and I couldn't be more stoked to share episode nine. Before we get started, I just want to remind listeners that if you enjoy what you hear on the Fern Line, please consider giving the show a review on iTunes or within your favorite podcast app. Reviews are a great way to let potential listeners know that the podcast is a quality listening experience. Other ways you can help support the show are by sharing episode links via social media or by simply telling someone. Word of mouth is the best way to get information out there, and it helps create the grassroots vibe I'm going for. So make sure you tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can send me an email at thefernline at gmail.com. I get emails just about every week, and I have to say I really enjoy connecting with each and every one of you. So please keep saying hello. All right, so with that, it's time to grab your favorite beverage and get cozy on your couch or camp chair and settle in for this episode of The Fern Line. ¶¶
0: I think that I have this view of climbing in my mind that is, it can be really something beautiful and like working towards something magnificent and beautiful idealism towards like, well, this is what I want to achieve. This is what I want this to be. I'm going to seek that perfect line in the mountains and I'm going to go and I'm going to search until I find it.
1: On today's episode, we'll get to know New Zealand born North American alpinist Graham Zimmerman. From a young age, Graham was inspired by the rugged peaks of the New Zealand Alps and later the Cascades of Washington and the Pacific Northwest. During high school, Graham developed a keen interest in geology and it was then that he would experience his first involvement with mountaineering. But it wasn't until he returned to New Zealand for university that climbing became the central force in his life. Since that time, Zimmerman has honed his craft, and over the last decade, he's pioneered a myriad of exploratory routes in Alaska, Patagonia, and most recently, the Karakoram. But for Graham, it's not just about climbing. Rather, it's about living an all-encompassing lifestyle that combines exploration, creativity, and challenging alpinism. In Graham's world, getting to the top is one thing, but how you get there is everything. A few months ago, I sat down with Graham to talk about his climbing career and how his experiences in Alaska have shaped his trajectory in the mountains as well as his personal life. We started our conversation by talking about Graham's first Alaskan expedition to Kachatna Spire in 2008. It was in this harsh and unforgiving environment that crucial lessons were learned and a lifelong search for the perfect line was born.
0: Still, kind of like astounded at the, uh, <laughs> the audacious audaciousness of youth that we like thought yeah. we could go like slay that thing. Yeah, because we we went in there and <laughs> and uh, as I remember, we like didn't really know how to set up an Alaskan camp. So like we like get in there, we set up our tents, we like sort of build some walls, and <laughs> we're hanging out. <laughs> we got like we're way too scared to actually try the North Face's kachinas fire. So we're on the we're on the Quill Glacier Glacier, um, and so we're like okay. There are all these big walls here. We've got so much gear with us. We're gonna go try one of these other things, and they can't be that big. And I don't. I think I mean we must have had a map with us, but we just like didn't look at how big it was. This wall that was on Reisenstein Spire, and uh, and we just got nowhere on it. You know, we're like just way. We'd got we were like way down there on the bottom. It was just like in like this. You know, that you hear about the Alaska factor, the sense of scale, or the, cha- the you know the challenge of having a sense of scale here. And then later in the trip, you know, this big windstorm shows up, broke two of our tents. So eventually we did try the, uh, the, 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 whatever the North Face couloir on, on Kachatna Spire, which is the line, which still hasn't been sent goes up a predominant couloir on the right hand side of the North Face. And then is cuts onto a wall that, um, heads up what's kind of the, I guess, kind of the, uh, west face of the tower but it's like way inset behind in this couloir and um we like got up the couloir and a storm came in and we bailed and it was i mean i think we climbed like a vertical mile of new terrain on that trip but didn't get even didn't get close to the tops of anything and actually i i guess actually a really a really good place to go from there is uh so i didn't i didn't that was in 08 that i went to the kachana spires with with ian and ryan and then um and then I didn't go back to the range until 2010. And um, and I was going to the Ruth with Mark Allen, who had taught this course that I'd taken when I was 16. And in, in the intervening years, um, he had become a much better climber. I had become, you know, I'd gone from being some, like, mega noob to... Sort of sort of knowing what I was doing at least. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and, and uh We're talking about like going into the roots, we're talking about Huntington, we're talking about all this all this stuff and um at that time I was like living in the dirt in Yosemite most of the year as well. I was like on the OCR team, just like didn't have an, didn't really have any money, didn't really have any clean clothes, all my money was invested in climbing gear and I was like just trying to go on trips whenever I could and uh so so Mark and I go to the Ruth and (laughs) uh similar kind of deal we like have some really audacious goals and um but we see this we see this ice ice pitch or this like this ice hose high up on Mount Bradley on the south uh I guess the south um like Southeast Face, South Face, um, and uh, and we're like, oh, cool, let's go do that. That could be our warm up route. You know, I bet it takes us a day and a half. Yeah, you know, we got back to base camp like five days later. <laughs> we brought like one can of fuel, and man, we just we like accidentally hung it out there so hard. The climbing was really hard. A bunch of storms came in. We ran out of food. We couldn't figure out how to get off the damn thing. We ended up on the backside glacier, like on the far side of the peak.
1: So, did the was the climb that you guys did had it not been done before?
0: No, it was, it was a new route. We ended up naming it Vitology um, after a after a Pearl Jam album, and it was really like like mind expanding in the sense that it was. It was It was hard. It was hard climbing. There was hard ice climbing, there was hard mix climbing. Uh, there was some wacky aid climbing, there was fucked up snow climbing, and we were like bivvying on little ledges, you know, just kind of the whole the whole deal. And we, we really didn't mean to get into that. Um, but we just like dealt with it. It was just like one pitch at a time, you know. And uh, And when we you know when we came down, it stormed for, like, a week, so we spent, like, a week getting drunk in our tent, trying to, like, figure out what had just happened. And, uh... And really, like, we came off of that trip and it was kind of like, okay, like, I guess we're capable. We need to, like... We we saw, like... We saw what was possible and then it was really just a, uh... Just a question of how to, like, harness that and repeat that process. And, uh... And I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I really, like, that route for me, was a huge stepping stone. And, you know, it's like when, when the Alaska Range, for me, kind of, like, yeah. became, became a, a true, like, testing ground.
1: This train is bound for home. Castle's made of stone. Pass me like a grayscale time zone. I see the country in the sun. Twin cities on the run. West Coast for one more night of fun It's a constant destination My solitary friend but no one can ever find me I'm lost again Building on his experiences in the Kachatnas and Mount Bradley, Graham continued developing his alpine skill set and worked toward constructing a life centered around alpine climbing. From the get-go, Graham traveled extensively, going on expeditions to the Pamirs, Nepal, and even Patagonia. But it was the rugged mountains in Alaska particularly the remote and lesser-explored regions of the Alaska range that called Graham the loudest. In the summer of 2011, Graham and his partner Mark Allen would fly into the Cahiltna Glacier where they would then make a multi-day traverse to the seldom-visited Lacuna Glacier in search of the perfect line. But first, Graham made a trip to the outdoor retailer show in Salt Lake to try his luck in the world of getting sponsored. castle's made of stone
0: you know, like, I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how to, like, set up meetings at a trade show or anything like that. I think I'd showed up just expecting people to, like, know who I was because I had I'd been on climbing.com. You know, yeah. I'd, there'd been, there'd been, there'd been, a, there'd been a short article about me on climbing.com. Yeah. People know, people got to know what's up. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember like going there and like coming away with like two free pairs of socks to hang over and just being like, wait, what? Like, I don't, this didn't, this really didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And then I, I went to Nepal, uh, a, like a couple months later and totally got my ass handed to me there. And, uh and and it it took me a while to figure out how to like harness that energy you know that like that notion of like this is something i'm capable of i'm going to go and really you know do that and i actually spent spent quite a bit of time like climbing like kind of like harnessing like how to how to ice climb better how to rock climb better um how to actually like make enough money to pay for expeditions like that and I spent a bunch of time kind of working on my myself and my scene so that I was like better situated to deal with big expeditions um both like mentally, physically, financially and uh and set myself up so that so that I could try to kind yeah. of like repeat that that you know and like cre- create more routes like that and, uh, and it took a few years. It took it, there were, there were definitely some like failed attempts in there. Um, I spent some time in the Ruth Gorge with a dear friend, Joe Sambatero, who's now over at the access fund. And, uh, and we just, we got our butts kicked. I mean, the weather was bad. We like did some really cool, hard climbing, but, um, but like really kind of got our asses handed to us. And, um, and then, uh, It was in 2011, so I guess a year later, but I spent, there was a lot of time in, you know, the whole year between those trips where, but in 2011, I, um, went to, Mark and I went, had seen some photos of this area that we had never really heard of called the Lacuna. Um, we'd been like, you know, surfing around the internet, looking for photos of cool shit that hadn't been done. And, uh. And found these photos of of the zone called the Lacuna, and um, which is just to the west of the Cahilna. and and we decided to go in there and see see if we could climb some of these peaks that that hadn't hadn't been done before.
1: So th- that's on the other side of Foraker.
0: Yeah. So basically, the the Infinite Spur drops into the um, central Lacuna. Okay. And then we were and then we were looking at a peak that. We ended up making the first ascent of it called Voyager Peak that was um in the western fork of the Lacuna. I guess northwest fork. And um and you know, and so we spent all this time actually skiing from Cahilton Base Camp under the south face of Foraker and trying this trying this peak. And eventually, after like a month of effort, we we sent the thing and uh we were pretty pretty fired up about it. It was pretty cool. It was like this really this deep sense of exploration and like diving into the unknown, figuring out like how to get over all this really challenging terrain or all these wacky ice falls and yeah. passes <clears throat> and stuff to get through. And, uh, and it was really, it was this really exciting trip because this, because of that sense of exploration, which is, which is something that's kind of become more and more important to me is that idea of, of, uh, going places, whether whether I know about that, whether whether really, I don't know, like, of course it's cooler when, like, nobody's been there. But also, like, there's that sense of, like, just kind of not looking at the beta sometimes. I haven't done this up in Alaska, but I've done it a little bit elsewhere where you just kind of, like, go have an exploratory experience. It's like Mesner's idea of white wilderness. Um, is pretty neat, but I think it's pretty cool that in places like the Alaska Range, you can go have that, like, really authentic exploratory experience um, in some of these kind of forgotten corners of these ranges yeah absolutely lacuna lacuna is this uh it's actually it's interesting it's, it's a it cuts off of the Yetna. the yetna is a uh is like a traditional name but then lacuna is the is like a um uh latin word for like the the space in between okay and so it's this kind of this like just yeah. lost little glacier in yeah. there
1: that's cool so um well When you guys went and did that, can you talk a little bit about the climbing on Voyager Peak? Yeah, talk about talk about that trip, talk about that route, and maybe just that kind of that whole experience.
0: We had seen it. We had seen a photo of it from a pilot on the internet. Yeah, so this guy, I think it was Jeff Fluger, had taken some photos, and they're on the internet. And so we just kind of went chasing it down. It was this really interesting experience where, like, you know, you're in Hilton the base camp, which is super busy. It's just you know you have tons of friends there the planes are in and out all the time. And then you ski across the hill and the glacier under Foraker and you're just totally on your own. And, uh, and it was just, it's this really aesthetic peak. Um, and it took us three tries to get up the thing. As I remember when we first got in there, the snow was really faceted. We were like climbing these steep ridges that were like crumbly rock covered in faceted snow. It was just terrible. Um, and we went and like, Came, like pulled out, went in, went into, uh I think we went and climbed the west buttress, of, or the sorry, the west ridge of Hunter while we like waited for the snow conditions to improve, and then, um, and then we went back over. I th- you know, I think that our first time going over into the northwest fork of the Lacuna, it took us like three or four days to get there. The second time, it took us like two days to get there, and we tried one of like the steep one of the steep buttresses on this on this face got really high on it actually got up to like the summit ridge but then a storm came in we had to bail and in the end we ended up putting up a route on the peak that was a couloir that kind of went straight to the summit it wasn't particularly hard but it was really like this cool sense of accomplishment of getting on top of this peak and like kind of seeing like seeing that process of like exploration of like Digging in and, like, working really hard to get at something. And it wasn't really the complete experience that I feel like I was looking for of, like, also having it be this, like, technical peak that we really... Um, that was, like, you know, that, that perfect, like, technical, cool, big mountain in this remote zone. But, but from the top of Voyager, we looked south down the Lacuna Glacier and, uh, and we, like, saw it. It was right there in front of us, um, like just what we were looking for. And we didn't know the name of it at the time. We were calling it the Mastodon because it had these like big tusks coming down at this, this, uh, this um, west face of what ended up being uh, Mount Lawrence. But it kind of like, for I think for both Mark and I, it, it was like, oh man, that's it. Remote in this zone is not very well known this like big steep super cool piece of alpine real estate
1: yeah like nobody goes over there huh
0: uh, no i think we're i think we I, I mean i'm totally gonna somebody's gonna give me shit for this but i think we were at least some of the first people to go over there into the northwest fork of the lacuna yeah which is crazy because it's right next to the Hell in the glacier so uh I'm
1: trying to just orient myself. I'll have to look at some maps and stuff when we're done doing the interview. But so yeah. Voyager Peak, is it, is it its own peak or is it like a satellite peak of Foraker?
0: I mean, it's a satellite peak of Foraker in the sense that like any of these peaks are satellite peaks. We, but it's, so you come down, as you come down from the summit of Foraker, um, you go towards, you end up on the Finn, which is uh, a, a peak that's been climbed. So it, is you're going, like, you're going like due west, off of Foraker, yeah. um, down the West Ridge. You end up on the Finn, and that's like the Finn wall that uh Freddie and Ben climbed um, a, a bunch of years ago. Super cool. Out of the that's out of the Yetna. And then as you and then from the Finn, the you have that like that ridge kind of continues over into the peaks of the Yetna Glacier and then that ridge line then comes south and it goes to Voyager and then a series of peaks along the, uh, along the western side of the Lacuna Glacier.
1: Inspired by their success on Voyager Peak, and motivated by the plethora of unclimbed objectives in the Lacuna region, Graham and Mark plotted their return the following season. Of particular interest to the two climbers was the aesthetic line they'd spotted from the summit of Voyager, a route they had dubbed the Mastodon. But as luck would have it, a serious injury sustained ice climbing would keep Graham out of the mountains for the next year, challenging him psychologically and forcing him to process his ambitions in the mountains. By 2013, fully recovered and eager to climb, Graham and his partner Mark headed back to Alaska, this time intent on improving their style from the previous trip and hopefully climbing an even bigger and more beautiful line.
0: So Mark Allen and I climbed Voyager in 2000, 2011, and it was like this really cool kind of stepping stone towards like what, what I, what I saw as like my ideal in the mountains, kind of what I've been seeking. And as we, um, you know, so I was, I was talking about how on, on the summit of Voyager, we're like, we've completed this goal. We've like gotten on top of this mountain. We're, we're pretty psyched. And uh, and it was a pretty amazing experience to like just be like, what is what is that down to the south? What is that down valley? There's just this incredible mountain, and you know, of course, we have to like get down off of Voyager Peak. We have to ski back to the Killen. There's we've still got a lot of work to do, but we like snapped a couple photos of this thing, and then got to work like getting getting down off the mountain, getting getting home. Um, you know, making sure that making sure that we get home safely, and it was. It was a couple months later that we kind of dove back into those photos and um in uh in 2013 I was you know I'd put Humpty Dumpty back together again and was um like back to back to climbing well and I went uh with Mark once again and we went to uh we went to the southern section of the lacuna and so we, we've, we like, tried doing all this research. We haven't found out anything about this mountain. We're still calling it the Mastodon. And we, like, get on the plane with Paul Roderick from Talkeetan Air Taxis. And he's, like, we're, like, flying into the range. And he's, like, oh, yeah, you're talking about Mount Lawrence. And we're, <laughs> like, what? Like, and so it turned out that this dude, Thomas Bubendorfer, who is a, a European climber, bone crusher in the Alps, had gone in and climbed the, uh, the west face of this peak a long time ago. But we were going in to climb the east face of what we then knew was Mount Lawrence. And so what ended up happening was um, Paul dropped us off in an area called the Ramparts, which is these, like uh, this like, little spine of mountains that sits between the Lacuna and the Cahilna um, further down. And so he dropped us off in one of the Ramparts glaciers, and we left a cache of food there. Uh, at the landing site and then skied for two days up glacier to the cutoff point where you would go up to the East face of Lawrence or, you know, what we were calling the Mastodon. And so we arrive, we've got like three weeks of food, fuel, like all the things. So we, we get there and there's this, you know, this mountain face, the weather is gorgeous. And, uh, and we quickly discover that we've accidentally left all of the chocolate and all of the whiskey at the cache by the plane, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) which was not sweet. So we like actually had to focus on climbing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we spent three weeks in there trying this thing. And we, uh, it took us, it took us three tries. The first two, we got shut down by either blank granite or, uh, just really nasty mushrooms hanging over us that we didn't want to be under in the sun. And eventually we made the FA of what, what we called the Northeast buttress of of, uh, Mount Lawrence. And it was this really cool experience. The climbing was, the climbing was hard. There was like weird snow climbing. There was like honest to God, hard mixed climbing. There was some cool ice climbing, really nasty cornist ridge climbing. It really had it all. And uh, I really found it to be a lot of what I was looking for. It was remote. It was unknown. It was, it took us three days on route of like really giving her. And, it was you know I think it was harder than the route that we did on Bradley and we did it in control. And it was like it really felt like something that I had been like working towards in a big way. Yeah. And uh and it was really it was really exciting standing on top of that thing and and like looking out towards Forker and Denali and Hunter and seeing you know seeing these peaks that were by this point pretty familiar and then looking out to to the west you know towards Russell towards the Kachatnas where I had taken that first trip and then of course that towards the Revelations which had been kind of a hot spot and uh it was it was a pretty it was a pretty amazing pretty amazing trip um can you
1: talk a little bit more about the actual climbing getting on the climb and just talk about the route
0: so our base camp was like uh, I think like three kilometers from the face and so we'd so we skied up through a nice fall and a route there was, a route climbed what was this kind of like hanging couloir that was like sitting on a buttress and then that led up to a kind of series of a series of kind of snow faces that led up to the the uh the ridge so it was like this the entry climbing on this thing was the crux, was, like, getting, getting into this cool art, and it was, like, super rowdy mix climbing. Um, it really, I, I very specifically remember, like, putting in a knife blade and then making, like, hard moves up this face that, like, were pretty akin to stuff I had been doing, like, on bolts, but then it was, like, oh, man, like, There's no, you know, there's no gear. (laughs) And I remember looking down at the edge of the, like, the Bergschrund and being like, that looks pretty soft. I bet, I bet that wouldn't be that bad. And then, like, down climbing. (laughs) Like, this is, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, you know, standing there for, like, longer than I should have. Like, oh, man, like, shit, what are we going to do? And and, uh, eventually just, like, went back, got involved. Found some gear, um, sent this first crux pitch, which was like right off the ground, and then it, and then that brought us into some like really cool ice climbing, and uh, like ice climbing with like little little bits of mixed climbing, and then and then so this is this is all on the first day, and we follow up this kind of like this little couloir, and then it, and then there was the section where we had to get across this rock buttress and on to this kind of snow arete. And, oh man, it was like this really, it's a really stunning memory of, of Mark leading out across this mixed traverse. The sun is coming up over the range. It was just like, man, we're, we're doing it. We're here. This is, this is happening. Like we had done some really hard climbing and we knew that if we could get through this rock band, that, there's a pretty good chance we could make it to the top of this thing, and it was really like amazing. Like sun's coming up, marks traversing out, and uh, and then put me on belay, climbing through. I led another mixed pitch out to the out to the um, kind of snowaret, and uh, we ended up bivvying kind of on a cornice, kind of in the middle of the face, and then I think we ended up bivvying uh, one more time, kind of on the upper ridge. And then topped out, and it was it was sweet. We after, uh, you know, after like two and a half days of of really giving her, we I think we're we were able to get down in like half a day. It was we were able to just kind of nail this like really fast descent off of V threads down this uh, down this ice face that was pretty well protected, and uh, yeah, it was just like just everything came together beautifully
1: it sounds like there was pretty hard climbing off the deck uh-huh. and then you kind of get up to the Saret, you, you bivy up there. What was the climbing like on the second day? Cause it sounds like it was hard climbing.
0: So the second day started with some of like, just really good ice climbing and pretty quickly turned into some pretty challenging snow climbing. Um, just like digging upwards through really steep snow, you know, that kind of stuff that like you, you only really get, in the Alaska range. Yeah, you're Maybe, like
1: shoveling your way up a face.
0: Yeah. You're just like, you know, you're just like <laughs> head down tool up, like just shoveling, yeah. like trying to get purchase anywhere you can yeah. kind of thing. Just, yeah. I mean, just classic, you know, this, the, that kind of climbing that like, you know, when I think about climbing, I think about like, you know, hooking on edges, placing good gear, like tapping into thin ice, like, It being pretty exciting and really cool. And then you know, and then you're up there and you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like shit. This stuff involves, you know, digging through powder snow with my hood up and like it's still filling my jacket, you know, like just super blue collar. You know, it's there's no like I don't know, I don't think I've ever been on a route in Alaska where it didn't involve some sort of shenanigans like that. And uh and so we had so like so that second day I had had a bunch of that and then, and then like pounding up this, uh, like pretty, you know, not super steep snow face to get, uh, to get up to the upper ridge. And then, you know, the, it was all like the whole route was like capped off with, with this just really rowdy, uh, ridge climbing. We ended up having to bivy about halfway along this ridge to the summit and just really, really exciting cornice climbing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that, that Alaskan ridge climbing is like, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating because it is, it can be so scary. You're like looking down at your partner and, uh, and they're like huddled into some hole, like <laughs> on this hanging piece of snow, Bo- snow
1: bucket belay. <laughs> Dude, totally. No, we were like,
0: I think, I think we had probably upwards of like. Eight to ten snow bucket belays on that ridge. Just, oh, (laughs) just, like, just, like, one person's, like, sitting in a little hole in the snow while the other person's, like, crying up on some, like, you know, like, both tools, like, into their elbows, like, in honeycombed snow and ice on, like, that's kind of somehow stuck to the side of this mountain. (laughs) Um, So that was, like, it was really cool. Like, that was a really special trip. And we put in a ton of effort on this climb, uh, you know, like, multiple attempts got it done and then and then went home you know and and actually the most probably the most exciting part of the trip was when we like um we finally get back to the cache, and we got back like two in the morning this plane is gonna pick us up at six and we've just been sitting we've been climbing or sitting in base camp thinking about all this chocolate and whiskey that's been sitting In our cache, where the plane's supposed to pick us up, which is like a two day ski away. So we finally get there at two in the morning, and uh, it would just crack into the cache, and we just sat in the snow in our tent and ate chocolate and drank whiskey for like four hours until the plane showed up.
1: Any serious alpinist will reach a point in his or her career where they have to ask themselves, what's next? For Graham, this was a logical question following his success on the northeast buttress of Lawrence. After all, the climb had been everything Graham had hoped for, a remote and relatively unexplored region, a route, for the most part, that was free from objective hazards, steep technical climbing in a stunning and aesthetic position. But was it enough? is it ever enough? This is the classic quandary for the alpinist, and a question Graham would have to answer for himself when he and his partner Chris Wright flew into the Wrangell St. Elias Mountains in 2016 to attempt the unclimbed west face of Salino Peak.
0: We had both been hearing for years about the Wrangles and the Saint Elias, and uh, and you know from folks like like Jack and folks like um, Carlos Bueller, folks who spent a lot of time in those ranges. You know, we we knew that there was some really badass alpine terrain in there, and we didn't really know where to look. We didn't we didn't uh, we didn't really have a very good idea of where where to look to find these things so we kind of started digging around for beta we started looking looking around on google earth and uh and we pretty quickly identified the twarpies as a zone that like may have some really cool potential in there i mean you see photos of these peaks and they're very steep and uh really pretty and there are also a ton of ciracs and stuff like that in there, yeah. right? It's like you know, it's kind of one of the big. There's a, there's a lot of snow and a lot of ice in those ranges, yeah. and you know, if you don't if you don't want to hang out under ciracs, you got to look real carefully. And um, and it was pretty funny. We actually uh, we actually emailed Carlos saying like, "Hey, we like kind of have identified that this um, uh, west face of Selena Peak looks kind of cool. Do you know anything about it?" And I, it was, like, based on an interaction, he, he definitely didn't tell us that he had tried it twice. But, like, it became pretty clear that it was, like, we had, like, found one of the things on one of, the, like, the old guys' lists. You know, and that's, that's like, one of our goals, right? Yeah. It's just got to figure out the ways to, like, get at their little, like, pocketbook of oh, yeah. of, uh, of climbs. And so we, um so it was pretty clear that we had, like, identified one of one of Carlos's and it turns out Charlie's, you know, the things that they had mm-hmm. tried in the past and had, you know, potentially that was kind of cool. And they had. And so we ended up getting a photo of it. And there's this really stunning rock buttress on the right hand side of the face that leads up to this really challenging looking ridge. But then we also identified in the middle of the face. There's just kind of this really um, this very steep, very direct um rib that runs up the whole face and um
1: like a rock rib
0: yeah like a mixed like it's kind of snowy at the bottom the the rib is kind of snowy at the bottom and then it becomes mixed and then it turns into this little rock head wall and then it um and then it turns into kind of a snow a snow rib up higher um and uh and so we were like cool like this looks this looks sweet, and so we flew to uh, Anchorage, rented a car, drove out to McCarthy. We were like, it was pretty exciting because we're in this like whole new territory, and we're headed for, you know, heading for this range that we've never been to, and uh, and it's this place that we both kind of built up in our minds um, pretty heavily, I think, and and flew in there with um, with Jay Klaus, who had actually made the first ascent of Salino Peak. And so he was able to kind of, like, give us the bait on how to get off the thing. Um, and so we flew into the Canyon Creek Glacier, and, you know, there we are, like, you know, a few miles from the space. And it's just massive. And it's terrifying. And it's—the Tuarpies are uh, named after the the harpies of Greek and Roman mythology, who are, like, these terrifying creatures that, like— eat the dead and are these generally just like very scary beasts and uh and <laughs> and and seleno was like the dark harpy like the really nasty one and, and I, I i'm not i'm not very good with greek mythology but it all seemed pretty daunting and we're sitting there below this face and it's just like oh shit like this thing looks really really serious <laughs> and uh we get in it stormed for a day and a half, and then it stopped, and we got this week long weather window. And so we launched. We um, we started climbing. We like started climbing up the uh, initial snow slopes. There was like one section where we had to duck through this little couloir, and we were under some some uh, objective hazard. But we like kept it down to like five minutes under that objective hazard. And then we were on this rib. And the weather window was warm, but we were on this rib, so we were able to, like, start going up. And uh, and it started with some fluted snow climbing and pretty quickly got into some really awesome mixed climbing. Um, really good rock, um, really cool climbing, like cool chimneys, cool faces, kind of wide cracks, all sorts of neat stuff. And, um, and we get up a little higher, and then it kind of turns into... Like, the rock gets crappier, but it's not super steep, um, so it's, like, not too bad. And uh, and then we end up bivied on this, like, digging into this little snow rib, kind of classic little, like, you know, you, like, dig out the top of the snow rib and pop the tent on it, and, you know, it's like that classic sweet bivvy where you've got a really nice flat spot, but it's really falling off at all sides. And so we're sitting there at this bivvy, and above us is hanging this rock band, and it's pretty clear that the rock goes from being granitic and like decent quality to something else it's like some dark metamorphosed garbage up there and uh it's the next the next morning it's chris's block and he launches i guess we climbed a couple of pitches through some easier stuff and then and then he launches up onto this head wall and Dude, it was, like, one of the more rowdy things I've ever seen. I think, you know, he was on lead for hours. And he's, like, climbing up through this pretty crappy rock. It's quite steep. We had rock shoes, thank goodness. And um, the top of this pitch is, like, um, capped by this roof of this dark, crappy-looking rock. (laughs) And he's, like, up... In like aiding through this roof and like pushes down on something below him and it releases this torrent of rocks that uh, put massive core shots in both the ropes, break a carabiner lower on the pitch. And he's just sitting there like hanging from a cam and a roof with like all this going on below him. And it was like it was the scariest thing that's that's ever that I, that I've ever been involved with in the mountains But he, like, you know, he pulls it together. We kind of, like, get him dialed so that the rope is pulled up past the core shots he's tied in. Um, He makes, like, the final moves at the roof, builds an anchor. I get to him at the belay, and he's all beat up. I'm all, like, I'm all terrified. (laughs) We just sat there for, like, an hour, just, like, kind of wanting to go down. Like, but just, like, and we just had to, like, sit there and wait until one of us, like, tied in and started going uphill. And, uh, and it was my block at that point. So I like started leading, put on the rock shoes. At This point it's like kind of middle of the day. It's hot. Um, and we're just looking for a place to bivy, you know, classic, like one of the t- primary tactics that we've used up here in the past has been to bivy during the day. It's like the mountain is hot. Stuff's moving around. It's a great time to be like hanging out in a sheltered place. And it also means you can carry a lighter sleeping bag because it's warmer. And so we're just looking for anywhere to bivy and it's still like too steep. There's no we're like not really finding anything. And eventually a couple of pitches later I find this little this little perch that's like the size of a love seat. And we just like we just like sit down, pull our sleeping bags on and just kinda of sit there and like cook water and just like kinda of reflect on what has happened. Um, so
1: did you, at that point in time, did you know that you were past the crux?
0: It was another, it was another pitch or two of like really easy mixed climbing and we reached this like upper fin of snow and ice. And so we end up climbing up and we're like cruising through really like fast, uh, kind of neve. And then we end up having to kind of duck into some flutings that are leading upwards, leading up towards the summit plateau. And... It just it got pretty it got pretty intense pretty fast. We ended up getting pushed under a serac, trying to climb really quickly, we, like get out from underneath the But then we're in we're like deep into these flutings. One of the kind of couloirs between the flutings ends, and we end up having to climb out onto like the kind of like big hanging mushrooms themselves, and end up having to rappel out of a fluting into another gully system, and then the clouds came in. And so we're like in pea soup, just heading upwards, trying to get somewhere that we feel safe and somewhere that we uh we can like rest for a little bit and um and eventually the angle starts to ease, and we end up on this ledge we're in we're still in like pea soup clouds, but we we're pretty confident that we are on a ledge that we had identified from down below as being a couple hundred feet below the summit and we just set up the tent and hung out there for a few hours until it cleared. And it was just, it was at that point that we knew that we were off the face, that we were safe and that we were sending early the next morning. um, We went up, got to the summit and then the descent was this real gorgeous classic Alaskan Ridge. It was just beautiful. Just stunning climbing. And after spending all this time kind of on this big face, feeling, even though we were on the spur, like feeling pretty exposed, like there's a lot of mountain above you, um, being on this really pretty ridge was just so pleasant. And so we just kind of trundled along this ridge for for uh, like half a day until we reached this couloir that had been used for the first ascent of the peak. Um, the couloir was 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 nasty. It was like ten rappels through like chossy rock and bad ice, and we just got through that as quickly as we could. And you know, by the middle of the uh, middle of the night on that last day, which I think was our like well into our fourth day climbing, we stumbled back into base camp. We had been given a pretty amazing opportunity in terms of the weather, in terms of finding this route. And Chris and I being able to found a, you know, uh, found a partnership really like um, create the foundations of a alpine climbing partnership on this thing. It was one of those you know climbs that really really pushed us hard. Um, certainly had some dangerous climbing on it, but I don't know. We like we figured figured our way through it and kept a lot of it as safe as possible. And uh, it really felt like what I'm looking for something that's in a, in a cool area, is not super well known, that it's really big, it was like a 6,000 foot route, and has a bunch of really wild technical climbing on it, it's fairly safe, and, uh, and then having the right conditions in which to climb it, it was pretty perfect.
1: Since his climb on Salino, Graham has continued pursuing a high standard of alpine climbing in the most beautiful and remote corners of the world. This last year, Graham and his partner Scott Bennett were awarded the American Alpine Club's Cutting Edge Award for their first ascent on the southwest ridge of K6 West, a 7,040-meter peak in the Karakoram. Before I ended my conversation with Graham, I asked him to talk about his future goals and why the mountains of Alaska will always be important to him.
0: You know, like, we talk about the things that, like, attract us in climbing, and for me, like, the sense of exploration of finding unknown corners is, like, something I really like, um, whether that's in the Pakistani Karakoram, whether that's in Central Oregon, where I live, um, and certainly in the Alaska Range, or in the mountains of Alaska in general, um, that's like really what gets me fired up, and my, you know, this is and this is probably what of when I was talking about kind of developing myself as a as a climber, like you know, so I could mentally and physically and financially deal with this stuff. You know, it's like a big part of that is kind of like figuring out like what you actually want to do, right? Like, what is it? Like, you know, there are so many mountains out there. There's so much cool shit to do. Like, how do you decide what it is that you want to apply this like monumental effort towards and uh, and I and I kind of slowly figured out that it was like man my my like ideal climb is remote hard to get to uh, steep big and safe that's like if I can find that man that's that's it I think that you know for me looking at the future um, I think when it kind of I, I, over the last couple of years, I've been a little more focused on climbing. I've, I've had more focus climbing outside of the Alaska Range and outside of the mountains of Alaska, spending some time in Pakistan, spending some time in South America. And uh, and that's been really cool. Um, I've really enjoyed that. And I feel like my time in Alaska has really set me up well for that. But there's also been this realization coming back to... Climbing in the wrangle st elias with chris last year going back to the ruth um this season that you know these mountains are like these mountains are as rad as they come just because they're a little closer to home just because it's a you know a five-hour flight from my home airport it really has no like has no bearing on the fact that these mountains are incredibly badass and they're totally world-class yeah and it's it's just such a it's such a sweet reminder that oh yeah you know the mountains the mountains of alaska that are just just you know in my own country on my same continent are really just as bad as they come yeah and it's and it's just such a great sign that like i'll be able to come here forever you know yeah and uh whether it's Maybe a seventy-year-old guy like farting around on skis in the middle of the roof, or you know, next year going somewhere else. It'll—I don't know. It's—it's—it's—it's an incredibly inspiring place. I think that I have this view of climbing in my mind that is, it can be really something beautiful and like working towards something magnificent and beautiful idealism towards like this is what I want to achieve. This is what I want this to be. I'm going to seek that perfect line in the mountains and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna search until I find it, you know? Yeah. That's I think that's what a lot of this is for me and cool. And I really get a kick out of it.
1: All right. Well thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope you enjoyed Graham's stories as much as I did, and I hope you can apply some of his Alpine wisdom to your next adventure in the mountains. I wanna give a shout out to Graham and his partners Chris Wright and Steve Swenson. They are headed to Pakistan right now to try some more beautiful, unclimbed 7,000-meter peaks. And, uh, yeah, I'm just wishing them the best and sending them lots of positive vibes. Don't forget to review the podcast on iTunes or within your podcast app. And don't forget to sign up on the Fernline email list at thefernline.com. And finally, if you enjoy the tunes you hear, you can check out more of my stuff on Spotify, Bandcamp, itunes or evan until next time i'm evan phillips and this is the fern line